It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. It's taken five years, four consecutive trophies, but finally Manchester City are out of the Carabao Cup. Pep Guardiola's iron grip on the competition has been loosened and this season there'll be a different name on that trophy. Could that name be West Ham United? The Hammers were the ones to knock City out last night after a penalty shootout. On today's show, we ask whether City being eliminated is actually a good thing for the Carabao Cup after a four-season-long monopoly. Several other Premier League sides in League Cup action last night too, with Liverpool, Leicester and Brentford all in the hat for the next round. And speaking of the Carabao Cup, that was the last domestic trophy Manchester United won back in 2017. Paul Pogba started that final and the Frenchman has started to get a bit annoyed with the British press. Pogba hit back on his social media pages yesterday for what he called big lies to make headlines. We'll discuss whether we think more players will give a bit back to the media in future on today's show. All that to come on Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new episode every day of the campaign. I'm Niall and with me today we've got Marley Anderson. Hello Marley. Good morning. Good morning, and a very happy hammer as well, Jim Salverson. All right there, Jim? Oi, oi. I'm all right, thank you. Since you've been started saying oi, oi, by the way, West Ham have basically been amazing. I know, it's, it's, <laughs> like, it's like my version of Lucky Pants, isn't it? I, need to, I can't stop saying it now, I'm stuck with it. <laughs> it's when you start adding Savaloy on the end, then that might be a step too far. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we're going to begin. We can't not begin with the League Cup last night because Manchester City lost to West Ham United on penalties. The game finished goalless after 90 minutes. But the win for West Ham United via spot kicks means that City's five-year unbeaten streak ends in this competition. First of all, Jim, your thoughts as a West Ham fan on last night's game before we talk about whether we think maybe City being knocked out might be a good thing for the competition. I haven't seen a great deal of last night's game. I don't know why it wasn't the picked game for Sky Television. You'd think the holders versus Premier League opposition would be the pick for Sky TV, but no, they decided to go for a different game instead. So I've only been able to watch a few bits of highlights, of which there weren't very many, I think it's safe to say. And it was definitely it was an example of what happens when you play two teams, neither of which have decided to field a striker. 
last night because there wasn't really much in front of goal. If you look at the stats alone, you've got to say that City dominated. But I don't think at the same time they had too many nailed on chances. I think Ariola made a couple of decent saves, but there wasn't anything to suggest they should have run away with that game. And at the end of the day, it was just a really, and I've said this so many times since we've been doing the podcast this year, it was a really professional performance from West Ham. They went out with a game plan and they executed that game plan really well. They were incredibly compact. They had a bank of, if not eight, maybe nine players just sitting in front of Manchester City's forward line and City just found it incredibly difficult to break them down, as they have on a few occasions this season. They just couldn't find a way through. Uh, But it was a great example of David Moyes going in there with a game plan, deciding how he wanted to play against Manchester City, and ultimately controlling the game, because it played out exactly the way that he intended it to. We spoke to Michael Johnson, the former Derby and Birmingham City player, on the dugout last week, and I asked him what he thinks David Moyes has done to make a real difference at West Ham, considering two seasons ago you were in a relegation scrap. And the thing that he picked up on was that the fitness levels in the stats that are coming through are so much better than they were beforehand. Is that something you've noticed as a West Ham fan in the games this season, that the players look a little bit sharper in the games that they've played? Yeah, definitely. And I think particularly under Slaven Bilic, there was kind of like a pub team atmosphere when it came to training. And you noticed players <laughs> dropping off kind of 75 minutes in. Last 15 minutes, they were blowing out their asses. But certainly there's been fitness levels improving. I'd add to that in terms of kind of the, the organisation of the team as well. Everyone is far more disciplined in that team than they were before. And that is partly due to the tactics being deployed and maybe there's a bit more of a iron fist in terms of making sure people stick to their roles and stick to their positions. But also I think it's to do with the characters that David Moyes has brought into that football club. And a lot has been made of his kind of lack of transfer activity and his failure to secure a striker. But he seems really determined to bring in the right type of people into West Ham. And those people are players that have the right attitude and are willing to work hard on the pitch. And uh, Fornells is the perfect example of that. He didn't get off to the greatest start at the London Stadium, but because of his work rate, kept on getting opportunities and kept on getting chances to prove himself because he did a job on the pitch, even if he wasn't that fluid going forward and he lacked a bit of a touch sometimes because he put in the workload and because he tracked back and he became part of that defensive unit he kept on getting his chances again and again and again and now I think he's one of the more important players in that West Ham team so yeah fitness has played a big part of it but I also think the characters in the team the team kind of morale and energy and unity they've got and also the work rate that they put in has all played a big part. Yeah, and Pablo Fornells, as you say, he's got a Spain call-up off the back of his form for West Ham, so that definitely Mm. counts for something. I remember when he first arrived at West Ham, I said to you after watching West Ham a couple of times in the flesh that it looked like he'd never met his teammates before and that he was kind of just thrown in. And that was the case even about six months in. It was was almost like that they didn't know each other and they were just told to go out there and play. But certainly there's that cohesion now that David Moyes has instilled and certainly greater levels of fitness as well. So West Ham United won last night. It was via a penalty shootout. We'll talk about the penalties in a second. But the fact of the matter is City are out, Marley. They've lost in this competition for the first time in five years. That four-season run of winning the trophy every single campaign has now come to a close. Do you think that's a good thing for the Carabao Cup? Because, as you said jokingly a couple of days ago on Football Social Daily, you may as well call it the Manchester City Trophy. Paint it blue and put the ribbons on it permanently because it, it was their cup. They had a monopoly on it. Now they're out. Do you think that's maybe a good thing for the League Cup? 
Uh, I would maybe drop just short of of saying it was good for the cup because it it kind of sounds a bit as well, I'm a bit anti Man City, but um, it's probably good for the competition as a whole, I suppose. Um, seeing somebody else win it, um, it's it's probably better for the cup if some if a a, a sort of a, an out, outsider won it, like a West Ham, for example. Like you look at the you look at who's in it now. Liverpool are still in it, and they're going to be strong favourites for to to probably lift the title in uh, in February. So. If if a West Ham went and won it, I think that's that's great. Um, I think with uh, the way it's been, you know, we have kind of got used to City being the only ones taking it seriously. But this time, West Ham are well. I say they're taking it seriously. They're playing the second choice goalkeeper and a couple of others, and and without a striker, I suppose. So even there, they're rotating as well. It was a second eleven, pretty much. There were very few players in that team last night that you class as first team players. Suchek, Cresswell, Noble played, yeah. That's it, really. I mean, Johnson, Johnson's kind of been in the team through injury, and he's doing really well, but he, you'd class him as a second string as well. So I don't think either team was putting out their strongest eleven last night. But do you think that Manchester City taking this competition seriously over the last three, four years has raised the prestige of it almost? Do you think that clubs are looking at it and going, well, if City, if Pep Guardiola thinks this is worth putting effort in, we might put a bit of an effort in as well? Uh-huh. I don't. I don't know. I, I'd actually say if City are taking it seriously, what's the point in us taking it seriously? Because we're going to get beat by them at some point. <laughs> um, once they start uh, dropping off a bit, then maybe it's it's more of a a thing for other teams to go. You know what? Well, if they're not going to try and win it, we'll try and win it. But I still think City did try and win it last night. They played the bit. Some of the big lads, Foden, De Bruyne, are all played. Um, you know, plenty of you know strength in that team to to beat West Ham. It just didn't come out like that. West Ham did really well. Um. So yeah, but the th- the thing is now it's it's typical West Ham to knock out Man United and Man City and then probably get put out in the next round by like Sunderland or something like that. So it's just they almost deserve to win it after who they've put out, but it would be the most West Ham thing ever to to balls it up at the easiest opportunity. <laughs> Do you think they can, Jim? Like Marley says, you've beat Manchester United in the last round. You beat Manchester City this time round. Do you think David Moyes will now have one eye on this competition and fancy it after this result? You mentioned a second string West Ham 11 against City. Do you think that now we're reaching the real business end of the competition that we might see slightly stronger sides from the manager moving forward? I don't think he can. I think the squad still doesn't have the depth to compete on three fronts. And at the moment, West Ham are competing on three fronts. And I think Premier League form has got to be your number one priority because that is where ultimately you build success. The European form, because they've performed so well in the competition so far, three games, three wins, zero goals conceded, he's got to have an eye on that going, well, we could go deep in this competition. And ultimately, the Carabao Cup is still the Carabao Cup. It's probably the bottom of every football team's list of priorities. And there's a lot of good teams left in it. Exactly what Marley was saying earlier, I was looking at it going, well, we've beaten Man United, we've beaten Man City, we're going to go out to Accrington Stanley or whoever it is in the next round. But there is no weak opposition in the next round now. It's all kind of Premier League teams. Spurs would be the team that I'd probably highlight as the weakest left in it which comes Sunderland are in it so yeah. Sunderland still in it okay yeah. I didn't realize that all right Sunderland so yeah that would be the uh, the ideal opposition <laughs> but other than that it's pretty strong I mean they, they can go on and win it but they have to do it I think with the second string you know what I feel like when it comes to cup competitions and yeah. I find it interesting that you mentioned that 
Premier League form has to come first and foremost because of the way that clubs build success nowadays. But does winning stuff not build success? Does that not count as success? You know, West Ham haven't won a trophy for a long, long time. I can't remember the last time they won a trophy. So even though it's the League Cup, the fact that West Ham have knocked Manchester City out, that counts for something. If it was, de- if it was deeper in the competition... If it was, They're three if this- games from winning a trophy. I don't see why he wouldn't play his full-strength squad. It still feels a long way off. And if West Ham were kind of in, I don't know, 13th, 14th, something like that at the moment, where it felt like they couldn't achieve in the Premier League, I'd kind of go, yeah, I see that. You sacrifice maybe a few league games for your Premier League form. But the fact they are in fourth at the moment and they're unbeaten in Europe, you mm. kind of it kind of changes the perspective a little bit. OK, so what, what are you aiming for then? What, what do you want as a fan? I find, I find it odd. Like, um, No disrespect to you and how you view things as a West Ham supporter because you know I can only imagine what it's like to support a club who's in Europe and doing well at the moment my team are, mm. are far from that but I just find that narrative quite interesting because you're not going to win you're not going to get in the Champions League spots why not you're not good enough to do that but they're there at the moment so West I mean it's a, I, I appreciate it's an outside chance so is a potential cup which is surely longer lasting in the memory than getting to the group stages of a European competition I kind of... I mean, finishing in the Europa League is is an achievement, but you don't win anything for it. People don't look at West Ham and go, oh, they qualify for Europe, well done. But people might look back at West Ham and go, oh, I remember that team that won the League Cup because they beat City, they beat United, they beat Liverpool, maybe in the next round. That's kind of my view on it. I just think that there's the carrot there of silverware for West Ham United, which I think, Mm. you know, adds to the possible success of the club. I don't see there's any reason why West Ham can't win the League Cup and still finish in the Europa League this season and maybe reach the knockout stages of the Europa League anyway. I do agree and I'm kind of torn on it and I didn't know how I'd feel. I didn't expect West Ham to win this game last night and I was looking at it going, well, you're in the last eight if you do get through Manchester City and that feels deep into the competition and it's somewhere that West Ham rarely get to. We rarely get to the quarters. We definitely rarely get to the semis and we've been to one final of any cup competition in my lifetime. I think certainly in the, the lifetime I remember watching football, we won it in my lifetime. But the it's difficult to know how you kind of feel about this until you get there. For me, at the moment, the cup, the league cup, feels like it's still a long way between now and a potential semi-final or a final. There's still a long way to go, even though it's one or two games. And when you've got a team... That is, I, I think you do have to make a sacrifice somewhere because of the lack of depth in this squad. You have to make that sacrifice. You can't. Michel Antonio cannot play. I think it's four games in 10 days that we've got on this current run. You can't play Michel Antonio in every single one of those games. And without Michel Antonio, that's a weakness in your squad already because there is no other striker. And that goes across yeah, the board. You knew that was coming, though, didn't you? Yeah, it's a so lack of preparation. Should, shouldn't they have just signed, signed someone in the summer? Yes, like, it's, <laughs> yes it's they should have. <laughs> yeah, bizarre, but I, they didn't. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lack of preparation. It's a, a lack of foresight on the board, maybe the manager's side. But that, it's difficult because that shouldn't impact how you feel as a fan. But at the same time, as a fan, you kind of look to balance things don't you You go well yeah I'd love to win the EFL Cup but at the same time would I sacrifice the EFL Cup for maybe three places in the Premier League and which those three places in the Premier League 
potentially your stepping stone to winning more cups in the future well at the moment three places in the premier league will mean you win it so i'm not sure that's gonna happen. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking down to be honest with you now right, right, up, okay. but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah i mean that I, I just think it's a really interesting debate and i think it does differ depending on which club you support and how you're playing at that moment in time you know marley if we throw it yeah, to your completely. club newcastle I mean, if you're in this position, like I remember when you reached the FA Cup quarterfinals, was it last season or the season before? You know, Newcastle fans were genuinely excited because it was an opportunity for you to go to Wembley. If you had won that game and got to the semi-finals, that would have been something that the club hasn't really had a chance to do in recent memory due to the ownership and whatever. We can have our reasons for that. But what's your take on this? Because at the moment, West Ham fans have got it good considering, as I said at the start of this chat, Two seasons ago, they were fighting off relegation. Yeah, um, West West Ham are, are in a position where, you know, I'd love I'd love my club to be right now. Um, you know, fighting on two fronts quite regularly. Um, they're in with a shot of winning this winning uh, a cup in in February, like the first one of the season. Um, they're competing at the top end of the Premier League. They're beating who they're meant to beat, and they're they're. Um, sort of showing consistency that they haven't had for for probably going back 10 years I would say maybe more because West Ham have always been a you can they can do anything at any point for me West Ham they can lose 4-0 to Norwich or they can turn Man United over at Old Trafford 2-1 or something like that they can do anything so it's uh, it'd be great for them obviously you know Newcastle last year were it was the quarterfinals of the um the Carabao Cup we got beat by Brentford who was still in the, in the championship at that point um when we were, you know, having a genuine, we we had probably the easiest run of you could ever wish to hope for to get to a quarter final. I think we beat Oxford and and Morecambe or someone like that to get there. Mm. Um, both in replays, by the way. Um, <laughs> and then um, Joel Linton scored a hat trick against Morecambe. I remember that he did. Yeah, no, no, that was a oh, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it was someone though. It was he found his level. Put it that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. Um, yeah, as soon as you ran into Brentford, we uh, we came unstuck. Um, so yeah, it's that like having it there and not going for it is really frustrating as a fan. Um, which is what West Ham need to capitalise on. You know, they they took the chances against Man City last night, ground them out, took them to penalties, and once you survive that ninety minutes, anything can happen in penalties. So they they did that, and that's uh, a genuine way to progress in the competition. I think there was four penalty shootouts in the in the eight. Um, in the eight quarterfinal uh, round of 16 games last, uh, like this week. So four of them have, have been decided by um, a penalty shootout. And that is, as the old proverbial goes, it's the lottery of penalties. So, you know, it's a genuine way of, of getting through and, uh, you know, teams are, teams are doing that. Yeah, we'll talk about penalties now, but just to let everyone know, the next round of the Carabao Cup will be played on the 20th of December, that week, right before Christmas. So there's still a little bit of time, Jim, between now, the end of October, and then about two months. And you should probably have qualified from the Europa League group stages by then. So maybe by that point, we might see uh, a slight change in uh, priority, perhaps, for, for David Moyes and West Ham, depending on where they are in the league. I think it all matters on where the fixtures fall. And it's still another two months before that next round of fixtures takes place. But well done to West Ham. As Marley says, they won via the medium of a penalty shootout. Now, we hear a lot of complaints from managers and players that there's too much football and it's having an impact on the players, the quality of the games that are taking place due to a lack of fitness and whatever. 
But we've seen some changes in this competition over recent years, and one of those is the removal of extra time. So when a game finishes a draw after 90 minutes, we go straight to a penalty shootout. Now, it's easy to say you're a fan of this idea, Jim, after your team won last night. But are you? Do you like it? Do you think it's a good thing for the game? Do you think it adds a different dimension? I quite like it because I think it makes the League Cup different to something like the FA Cup, for example. Yeah, I like it. I think it's a good format. I was getting towards the end of that game, watching the clock count down and watching... West Ham win the war of attrition that was that 90 minutes of football and going, nobody wants extra time. I didn't realise it went straight to penalties this year. I completely missed that news flash. So I was going, nobody wants extra time. I want someone to score and I don't really care who it is. So the fact it went straight to penalties, I think is a good move of the competition. And it does allow potentially teams to take it a bit more serious when you know there isn't the risk of having 120 minutes of football ahead of you plus when was the last time you saw a decent extra time in football they're always really cagey and they're always really slow and you've always got dead legs on the pitch they very rarely offer anything spectacular or even interesting so i'm all for this going straight to penalties i wouldn't i think you'd struggle to do it in other cup competitions because you've got the history behind the FA Cup, for example, but whereas you've got the EFL Cup, which is a relatively new competition, you can do experimental stuff and you can change the format. And just like the Community Shield, I think it works at being straight to penalties on this occasion. Do you like it, Marley? I do, yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any point of of extra time um, in a midweek game in a cup that not many people even take like, seriously anyway yeah, yeah what, what's the point what's the point in having an 11 o'clock finish after extra time and penalties after you've been through 90 minutes so yeah bring it on gives it more drama brings more excitement gets more um, practice for the players in when they when they go on to you know um, country competitions and, and the FA Cup later stages as well so yeah fine I, I like it I think they should bring back golden goal what do you reckon Jim Oh, hated Golden Goal. <laughs> well, Golden Goal was great fun, mainly on FIFA more than real life. But there <laughs> yeah, we go. Yeah, you need to know what's ahead <laughs> of you. I think I think in terms of a footballing, like if you're a manager of a team or even a team, you need to know what your objective is ahead of you. And with Golden Goal, you always ended up people didn't go for it. People didn't go for the Golden Goal. It was more about not conceding than it was scoring. I, I thought it sucked as a format. So I'm um, yeah, straight to penalties. Much better idea. Next goal wins. Everyone loves a bit of next goal <laughs> From <wins>. the start. <laughs> Just like every game from now on, cut down playing time, it's all next goal wins. That certainly would have eased the pain for Manchester United on Sunday, certainly, wouldn't it, if that had been <laughs> the case uh, in that game at Old Trafford. Other results from last night's Carabao Cup games. Leicester beat Brighton on penalties. Burnley lost at home to Spurs. Liverpool beat a resilient Preston by two goals to nil, Origi and Minamino with the goals, and Brentford were winners away at Stoke by two goals to one. But well done to West Ham. They beat Manchester City on penalties. They've knocked out the current holders, and they'll be through to the next round. That's it for the Carabao Cup chat. We're going to have a quick break now, and after that we'll be talking about Paul Pogba, who's had a few words to say about the British press. We'll do it next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, the podcast from Sports Social with a new episode every single day of the top flight season. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss another episode, brand new shows, including at the weekends, looking ahead to the weekend's action and also looking back at the games that have taken place as well. Now, Paul Pogba hit out at the British media yesterday. The Manchester United midfielder posted something on his Twitter page with the caption, Big Lies to Make Headlines and a screenshot of an article from the Sun website which said Furious Paul Pogba snubbed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after Manchester United lost to Liverpool and shelved contract talks. That was the screenshot he posted but he also posted a big message over the top that said fake news. Now it's not the only thing he posted on social media. I'll read something he put on his Instagram shortly as well. But first of all, Marley, are you surprised we don't see this more from players hitting back at the press? Because Pogba's someone that we've spoken about on the show before that has been targeted on more than one occasion. Yeah, it's um, it's just another another thing where Pogba's the target, isn't it? I mean, you're thinking about this um, this sort of stuff happening, and he's the biggest sort of draw if you think about um, clicks that you're gonna get. You know, there's not many bigger than Pogba, probably Ronaldo, but Ronaldo's not doing too much. Like, you know, Ronaldo didn't get sent off at the weekend, basically. So he's an easy target, Pogba. He always has been. He probably always will be. And that's one of the the things that puts players off about English football. The media is um, unjust a a lot of the time with, with their targeting of players and making mountains out of molehills and, you know, the Sun are obviously one of the worst for it, um, you know, historically about lying and, and all the rest of it and, and making stuff up just for just for reaction. Um, and it's just another case of that. I think there's not many draws bigger. There's not many names you could have put in that article that have, that have would have got you more traffic to the website than Paul Pogba. Um, and he's, he's sick of it and it's understandable, completely understandable because, he, you know, anything he does is... is um, you know, cause for people to write headlines about him, and you know he's got a new haircut, and he's he's got new flashy boots, and he's not playing that well at the minute, and does he deserve this? And it's you can imagine it as like as a as a toll on you to take a toll on you as a player. It would be really like just it would just be like carrying a you know a massive rock round on your shoulders because you're like oh my god you know what are they gonna say this time? And even though you might ignore it, other people don't ignore it, and it all helps to. Um, to create this like fake picture of you um, and that must be horrendous to deal with because you're just a, a guy along with 250 others in the Premier League that's just playing football every week and you're not really doing anything to to separate yourself from that and then you get you know tabloids going oh well you know he's he said this and he's doing this and it's most of the time it's not even true so I feel for him a little bit with this. Marley says it will take a toll how much of a toll do you think it will take Jim? Because Pogba is one of these players who often gets scapegoated, for want of a better word, when things aren't particularly going well. Even when they are going well, you see stories about him. And this isn't, you know, a one-off that a newspaper or a media organisation has written a story on Paul Pogba. How much of a toll do you think that will take on him? Because I'm not surprised that he's hit back because it just happens so often. It's bullying, ultimately, isn't it, from the tabloid press? 
they're picking on a player in a similar way to they picked on Raheem Sterling in the past, although I'm not necessarily suggesting there are racist undertones to this. It is slightly unusual. It is a very wealthy young black player that is getting the attention on this occasion again, and he's seen as the disruptive figure within that Manchester United team. We don't know how much of it's true, but it would suggest that not much of it is from Pogba's reaction. And it's a, it's a really difficult one to know how a footballer should manage this. Because if it is bullying, there's that old thing your mum used to tell you about bullying, isn't there? If you ignore them, they'll go away. They just want a reaction. So is there an element of that? I mean, Paul Pogba is essentially picking a fight with the son here. And the son will take that as a prompt to write more stories. They're not going to be put off by the fact that he's claiming this is fake news or calling them out for its fake news. They'll that, that That's bait to a fish or whatever the term is bait to a lion bait to a fish or whatever it is it's, it's bait <laughs> of some kind to some kind of animal so they'll take that and run with it they'll do a little they'll they'll go after him i have absolutely no doubt i mean i don't want to come over all graham sooners but there is an element of if you are a player who courts the media you have to live and die by that decision and undoubtedly and i don't think that take the haircuts or the expensive lifestyle out of it. Paul Pogba is a man who courts the media, be it through sponsorship deals or be it through what he says to the press whenever he goes on international duty and gives an interview to Le Equipe or something like that. So he wants the attention. He wants the headlines. But the way the press works is you don't always get positive headlines. Negative headlines sell much better than positive headlines. So I don't know how much of it is... He needs to be more conscious of the way he's presenting himself in order to not get the media attention. Because there's pl- plenty of players that play football in the Premier League who don't get the same level of attention. How much of that is his fault and how much of that is the clickbaity trying to get that those headlines? I don't know. I think part of that is because, one, he's a big personality, obviously. Two, he was a record signing for Manchester United at the time around £89 million. And three, the fact he simply plays for Manchester United. I think Marley's right in terms of click-throughs and you know levels of, of interest when it comes to a story. I think Paul Pogba, because of the, you know that, that trio of things, that trinity of being a Manchester United player, the high price tag, and the fact he lives quite an interesting lifestyle, I think that they are you know the melting pot for uh, you know press attraction. This is what he's had to say on his Instagram page. Tabloid press once again wants to create polemic with 100% fake news. Big lies to make headlines. Journalists who use my name to be seen when there is nothing to see. The only reason I address this BS is out of respect to my coach, club and fans to send a clear message. The less you read these people, the better you are. They have no shame and will say just anything with no basis at all. That's what Paul Pogba posted on his Instagram page. What do you make of that, Marley? Uh, well, I learned a new word in polemic. <laughs> I don't know about anyone else. <laughs> was, Me too, actually. I was like, what's that? I wonder what that means. It's like a, a, a verbal or written attack on uh, on a person. And that's uh, essentially what it what it is. I've read straight off the Google definition that, Marley. Well done. <laughs> Damn right. And I've actually lost the tab that I was reading it off, so that's come out of my memory straight straight off. Um, but yeah, you know, that's, that's what it is. It's an attack. It's an attack on him. It's unprovoked. Um and as I said before, you know, I, I would get sick of it straight away. I don't know if I'd 
uh, I'd handle myself quite as as calmly as Pogba did because th- there are Sun reporters at, at Man United um, every week. So I'd probably have one of them by the neck at one point and say, "Stop writing this stuff about me, or write this, write that I've throttled you in front of five thousand people," um, because this is it. Just goes too far, doesn't it? It, it can't have a nice effect on on Pogba. Uh, it can't make him play better. It's just like it's like putting things on the back of a, of the Buckaroo horse and then it eventually it might flip but what happens when it flips like you you know it's just it can't end well and it's just it's needless if there's something there that he's done wrong that is you know to do with his performance or you know you can write articles like you know he's he's let his team down by uh sliding in on Naby Keita that's at least that's based on something that actually happened but all this stuff is just you know, plucked out of thin air and and not uh, substantiated with any with any proper um, any substance really. There is a solution here, of course. Like, there's things that can happen that means this horrible form of vicious personal journalism stops. One is people stop buying these newspapers, stop clicking on their articles, and the other is that Premier League clubs can directly take action. Manchester United and Paul Pogba could ban. The Sun, Neil Custis, all that type, they could ban them from press conferences. They could stop them being in the stadium. They are perfectly within their rights to do that. So there could be action that's taken, but it needs to be firm action. If it is decided that this is bullying, that it is an attack on a victim, then there should be action taken. It's working out what the action is. Because a newspaper shouldn't be able to publish lies. They shouldn't be able to publish falsehoods. And there seems to be a reluctance from people like Paul Pogba, Premier League players, that when this kind of thing happens, it almost seems to be too small fry to be considered defamation or liable, when probably, and I've not read the article in any detail, so I couldn't say for sure whether it is or isn't, but you're questioning the character of an individual here. You're calling him a disruptive force, and that could potentially affect his future earnings. There could be future managers who kind of go, well, if this guy's going to be causing trouble, maybe we don't want to sign him for 98 million quid or whatever it is. So there would be a good cause there's a good if it is genuinely a hundred percent fake and there is no truth in it then there is cause for Paul Pogba and Manchester United to take legal action against publications so if they want to stop it they should do that I guess the main point that I'm trying to make is are you surprised that we don't see more footballers coming out and on their social media pages hitting back at the media for these sorts of articles for Paul Pogba, it just feels like it's come at a bad time for him. As Marley says, he's been sent off. There is apparent disharmony behind the scenes. And maybe the article was construing the fact that Paul Pogba was involved in that. There's been much more malicious stories, I think, about Paul Pogba over the years. But are you surprised, Jim, that we don't see more players coming out and posting on their social media pages, you know, having a bit of a go back? I think for exactly the reason I said in the completely mangled metaphor about baiting things is that they don't want to cause themselves more trouble. It's better just to let this stuff wash over. We wouldn't be talking about this story if Paul Pogba hadn't acted on social media, if he hadn't reacted. If it had just been a straight tabloid headline, we would have passed it off as rubbish and it wouldn't be discussed on a podcast. So you're adding fuel to the fire and you're baiting the media into 
making further attacks. And let's not forget, the British media is still a pretty powerful thing. It's well, yeah, very much so, yeah. Industry that has, it's decided elections. It's made, it's made decisions for us on the governance of this country. So if it chooses to go to town on a footballer and ruin their reputation, then it is perfectly within its power to do that. And it's, it shouldn't be this way but it's probably not an enemy that a lot of people and a lot of players want to make. So I think that probably holds them back. Also, bear in mind that a lot of footballers don't have any control over their social media accounts. If this post from Paul Pogba had gone for a media manager, it would have never seen the light of day. Please send something about how many lies are coming out of the tabloid newspaper. It's just not going to happen, is it? So it's interesting that it's actually managed, managed to get through that filter process. And obviously Paul Pogba has more of a direct line to his Instagram than maybe a lot of other footballers do. See, I quite like it, Marley. I quite like that he's hit back. I, I, I mean, I don't. I understand what Jim's saying that maybe the more you hit back, the more you become a target. But like we said before, Paul Pogba's been a target for years since he signed for Manchester United. So it's almost as if, you know, what 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 more can he do? He can stay quiet for another three years if he stays at the club, and he probably will still be the target of articles just because of the nature of the environment that he's in. So I'm actually probably of the opposite thinking to Jim. I think it's quite refreshing that a player's come out and said, actually, this isn't on. I'm not going to stand for this, and I've had enough of it. Yeah, it's it's, it's a tough one because you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't because, you know, if you, if you ignore them, they keep doing it. Um, if you if you call them out like he has done, it's probably like a massive relief to you as as Pogba, you know, um, as if like, yeah, I've showed them. But also they've got what they wanted because way more people have read that article now than than they ever would have before. Like they would, a lot would have read it before, but now it's, you know, been, it's been boosted massively, um, probably into the hundreds of thousands or even the, the millions have probably read that now. So it, it kind of, serves both people it makes Pogba a little bit happy but also it makes you know the son think well he's 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 took the bait now he's replied and he's uh he's he can be got at and we'll we'll keep doing it so it's it's about what happens in the future like Pogba can say you know to his to his millions and millions of followers don't don't read this and maybe that might have an impact but also if somebody tells me not to read something as a as a consumer, I want to see what what they're saying to not read, if that makes sense. Like you almost get more curious about it. Um, and I don't know whether that's just because I'm sort of in the the football loop and I kind of have to know what's going on with everything. But certainly as a as a as a curious sort of fan, I would would also think, well, what am I not meant to read? Like that that sounds juicy. Um, so it it is a hard situation, but I think this is just Pogba like you say being that target and being the um being the one who's had years and years of players players ex pros pundits media role criticizing every every little thing he does um and then just saying right this time I'm I'm not letting them get away with it I'm going to tell them that they're uh full of uh full of lies so we'll see what happens in the future I suppose but it won't stop it yeah no doubt that as you mentioned before, with the things that are happening at Manchester United at the moment, particularly off the back of the last result against Liverpool, the players are an easy target and they'll be hurting. They'll be absolutely hurting. Pogba will be hurting because he knows, as you say, he's probably let his team down by getting sent off in that game. So I certainly think there's an element of that, but I do think that this is an interesting story anyway, in, in the sense that Paul Pogba is posted on his social media back on his social media and hit back at publications for what he describes as misinformation. Okay, that's it for today's football social that's daily. It. Thanks. We're for not this- going to talk about the love trap. 
Oh, it's episode two, episode two last night. I think that that should be high on our priority list of topics, shouldn't it? <laughs> have you not have you not been watching? I mean, of course, Suzel, I haven't been watching I mean, for a start. Oh man, you got to get into the love trap. <laughs> I tell you, it's better than the EFL Cup. What is it? I've There's a new Channel Four. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry what? Week. The love trap on Channel Four is better than West Ham knocking Man City out of the Carabao Cup. Well, all right, it's a, it's on a, on a level, <laughs> but, on level. but it is only episode two, so I'm not that into it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it, Jim. What is it? Ch- check it out for next week. We'll talk about it next next Thursday's podcast. Yeah, abso- we'll absolutely won't be happening. You'll be in the same position again. You'll be like, "Have you seen episode three, lads?" And me and Marley be like, "No, we haven't." <laughs> be the exact same. No love trap chat from us for now. That is it for Football Social Daily. But again, we'll be back tomorrow, and we'll also be back this weekend with a new edition of the Dugout, looking ahead to the weekend's Premier. League games. Dean Hammond, once of Brighton, Southampton and Leicester City will be joining me and so will Trevor Stephen, former Rangers, Everton and England player also on that show. So make sure you hit subscribe and you won't miss it. But that's it for today's episode and we'll speak to you next time. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.